This episode of the Adoption Connection podcast is sponsored by our free three-day interactive compassion challenge for the discouraged adoptive mom. In three days, understand why your child pushes you away, why you are not a bad mom because you're losing your patience, and shed the feelings of shame and guilt. There's hope and you can regain that compassion again. Our next Compassion Challenge starts on Tuesday, February 11th. We would love to have you join us. You can grab your spot at theadoptionconnection.com slash compassion. Welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it and we're here for you. Before we jump in, we wanted to just give a huge shout out to all of you who have left a rating or even left a review on iTunes for us. We love reading them. The ones that start out, um, this is my favorite adoption podcast or something of the sort, make us particularly happy. But even more than that, more than stroking our egos, the Reviews really tell iTunes that this is a podcast worth listening to because there are so many in the podcast space. And that's important because there are other adoptive moms out there, you know, maybe browsing podcasts for other reasons, but could really use a little dose of hope and encouragement. And so your ratings and reviews are really instrumental in helping more people discover this little podcast that we have. So we're really thankful for these reviews. We got one a a little while ago that we wanted to share with you. First of all, um, it was sent in by someone who called themselves Desperate But Hopeful. And she wrote, the Adoption Connection podcast has been helpful to me as a foster and adoptive mom. They cover a variety of issues and offer resource ideas as well. She also gave us a five-star rating, which we always, always appreciate. So you can help other adoptive moms out in our community and really in the world by also leaving your rating and review if you have not done so already. It's pretty simple. Just hop onto your podcast app, search for the Adoption Connection. If you're in iTunes, you're going to just scroll all the way to the bottom of the podcast page and you'll see the ratings and reviews and a link to leave a rating or review. If you're listening on a different platform, all the platforms have a way, I promise you, to leave a little rating and a comment. And we really do follow all of those. So thank you so much for doing that for us. Today is a Mentor Moments episode where we answer a listener question. These episodes give you a chance to join the conversation and guarantee we're providing the most helpful tools and resources for exactly where you are. And today's question is short and sweet. What do we do when kids don't care about consequences? So Melissa, what do we do when kids don't care about consequences? Let's talk a little bit about it. Well, I think the most important place to start in all of these issues is really with ourselves. And that's kind of a hard place to start sometimes. But when I think about when I tell my child something and he doesn't react the way that I'm hoping he will, I feel this very immense feeling of powerlessness. And for someone who really enjoys being in control as much as possible, that's really triggering to me. And so we know that when we are triggered, then we are not doing our best relational work, definitely not our best parenting work, right? And so I know, at least for me, when I start to feel that feeling of powerlessness, like a consequence isn't working, then I start, it kind of escalates. I start grasping at straws until I can find something that gets kind of the reaction that I'm looking for. 
Right. Because we know that when things feel out of control, we tend to grasp for more control to try to correct the, the, where we've gone off course. We're trying to force everything back on to the track that we think is best. And I think too, that for a lot of us, when our kids aren't responding the way we want, our minds can run to fear. And, you know, people will say really helpful things like, well, if your child won't, um, wash their hands after going to the bathroom. You can only imagine when they're in high school, they're not going to listen to you either or whatever. You know, these things are not helpful. They just increase our fear. And when we are in fear, we are not nearly as capable as connection, which is the foundation of everything that we're trying to do right now. We're, we are trying to build connection and trust with our kids and attachment. Melissa, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Another thing that I really like to talk to families about when they're struggling with this whole concept is really thinking about what your definition of success is. And I know at first glance, sometimes we just think we need the behavior to stop and behavior modification seems like the definition of success. But unfortunately, we don't have control over our kids. And so if that is our primary definition of success, we can walk through life feeling like failures. So sometimes it's more helpful to define success as your relationship, or even our own abilities to accommodate our kids uh, or kind of see the behavior for something different. And maybe success is how do I relate to my child when they're not doing what I want them to do? Can I stay regulated myself? I mean, maybe that's the success, you know? So I think we can all think about what that would be for us. Another thing is when we're looking at our kids' behavior, often we're looking at it thinking, well, this is my expectation. If they don't meet it, then that's failure. But I think we can look at behavior differently, and we need to ask the question about our children, is this I can't, my child can't do this, or my child won't do this? And we often think won't. I should have said this maybe the opposite way, but we often think my child won't do this But is it possible that your child can't do it? That even though they are, you know, we talk about chronological age versus developmental age. And we talk about brain differences and all these things. And yes, we probably think our child can, but maybe our child can't. Yeah, I think that's really important. This idea of looking at behaviors as communication rather than just behaviors, willful disobedience and character flaws. Uh, I actually teach that there are really only five reasons that our kids misbehave. They're physical things, tired, hungry, thirsty, sick, sensory related things, emotional regulation things, felt safety things, or can't stop what's, you know, lagging skills of some sort. And I find that we do much better looking for solutions that leave everyone feeling good about a situation. If we look through this lens of can't, not won't, if we assume deliberate disobedience and willfulness and manipulation and control, then we almost always end up in an escalated power struggle, which doesn't leave anyone feeling good. That is so, so true. I think if we can look beyond the outward behavior and really consider the motivation and the abilities and all those other things, we will do much, much better. We also talk about um, 
the importance of balancing high structure and high nurture with our kids. So Melissa, why don't you talk about that a bit? Yeah. I mean, we could probably do an entire episode about this. I think about this a lot and I even think about how to even describe what we mean by high structure, high nurture. And so I think by example, you know, we kind of have to flush it out by using lots of examples, but think about high structure as like the things that we do that our kids probably don't want to accept from us. They are the boundaries, the rules. um, And then like the actual structure of the day routines and things like that. And then think of high nurture as the things that, you know, feel a little softer, feel like we're coming alongside our kids. Like we're not just giving them nurture, like affection nurture, but accepting their reaction or, you know, kind of validating their feelings or saying yes, those types of things. And so we need a high balance of both. And I find that as parents, we tend to swing one way or the other. Sometimes it's by personality and sometimes, you know, we discover the connected child or connected parenting or trust-based parenting. And maybe we were using a lot of cause and effect consequences before. And then we see this new lens of behaviorist communication and we swing the other direction. And so all of a sudden, then we feel like our child's ruling the house and we're walking on eggshells and, you know, that doesn't feel good either. And sometimes it feels like we're spiraling more out of control in that way. And so there tends to be this happy middle where we're doing it really well. And that's where our kids tend to thrive. Right. I think if we picture it in our minds as a road with ditches on either side, you know, we want to stay in the middle of the road and not fall into the structure ditch of either not enough structure or not enough nurture. We want to be balanced. And I, I do think it's a tricky thing. And I think uh, for parents who have a partner who are married or um, sometimes you get one parent who leans toward high structure and one toward high nurture, and that can produce some interesting tensions too, I think. And if we can support each other and find that balance, it's really best for our kids because they need both. Yeah. I find that when there's a lot of tension in partners, parenting kids, we can, it can often be resolved by a high structure, high nurture solution because it's kind of meeting the felt needs of both parents. Mm -hmm. Can you give an example of that for people? kind of a silly example is, you know, when a child maybe reaches out and grabs something off, maybe you're at a party and a child reaches off and grabs something off the table and they weren't supposed to. And the high structure part of me, the initial reaction is don't do that to correct it. And then to also say, well, since that's the way you started that behavior, then you don't get the snack at all right? We take it away Mm -hmm. kind of as, you know, that's not the way you're supposed to do that. And so now you can't have it next time you should remember to ask. Except the problem is, is our kids have such short attention spans and it takes them so long to process information and learn new skills that there's no way the next time that they're probably going to remember that without a more multi-sensory solution and doing what we call a redo, building up a new neuropathway, a new skill. And so it feels very permissive for us to say, do you want to try that again? And they get to do it again. And then they still get the snack in the end. Mm -hmm. And so the high structure part of me thinks, 
you shouldn't get that snack. Um, and Lisa, you're high nurture, so maybe you're oh, thinking. Oh, that's exactly, that's exactly what I would do. Hey, let's put that down and let's try that again. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, but that's good, right? The structure in that is, um, there are some parents that are super high nurture that would just say, you shouldn't have done that, but I'll let you eat it this time. Mm-hmm. Right. I feel like that's the higher nurture thing to do. And so the happy medium in between is to not let our kids get away with the behavior that we don't want, but then to give them an option to redo it. And so that's the nurture is you're still giving a yes, but it's a structured yes. It has respect and appropriate social appropriateness mm-hmm. involved. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So absolutely. I think it's a great example. And, but let's be honest, it's hard work. I mean, therapeutic parenting, doing these redos, it is hard work. And I think the best thing we can do is, well, I mean, this is going all the way back, but we have to have some um, endurance and some strength to do this, to do the redos and be in the right state of mind and not default like I would tend to default toward high nurture and you would tend to default toward high structure. So I think it's a balance that we want to be always working toward. Yeah, absolutely. So the good news is, is that your child doesn't seem to be responding to consequences is that there are a whole slew of other tools in the toolbox that we can get to that will help you and your child feel more successful. So if you have a question that you would love us to answer here on Mentor Moments, you can pop into our Facebook group and ask there and just put the hashtag Mentor Moments on your question. And you can visit us on Facebook and join our Facebook community at theadoptionconnection.com slash Facebook. It is a phenomenal, very supportive community. It's a great place to get answers to your questions um, and probably even more quickly than we'll get around to them here on the podcast. But we love talking about those things here. And then if you have a question that maybe needs some more personalized advice or help and is very specific to your family. We do offer private coaching and you can get a free strategy session by going to the adoptionconnection.com slash services. We cannot wait to see the questions that you're going to have for us. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as the adoption connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.